Hello, I'm Eric Lacasse, and this is the Messy Messianic Mama podcast. Today we'll be talking about being grateful for Teshuva. Stick around for some hope, healing, and maybe even some laughs. Welcome once again. I hope you all have had a fantastic week. And for those of you who do not know, we are in the month of Elul on the Jewish calendar. It is the last month of the year, again, on the Jewish calendar. Um, Because Rosh Hashanah, I believe, is the, uh, they also call that the New Year, um, which is why I usually call it Yom Teruah, which is the biblical meaning of that particular calendar, um, meaning of of the, the beginning of the new year. And before I get ahead of myself, I do want to let you know that the Torah portion for this week is Ki Tavo, which means when you enter. You could find it in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 through chapter 29, verse 8. The half Torah portion is Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 22. And the Brit Hadashah is Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 53. And I want to talk to you about how great a blessing it is for Teshuva. For those of you who do not know, um, Teshuva is translated both as repentance and as forgiveness. And both of these are so important, especially for those of us who are believers. My husband uh, actually spoke on this subject this past weekend, and I'm, I'm stealing almost verbatim his uh, sermon that he did because I thought that it was so good. You know, I do this every once in a while. Um, not that he doesn't have something fantastic to say every week, but I also know that there are some from our congregation who listen to my podcast, so I don't necessarily want to give them the same message they just heard a couple weeks, uh, a couple days ago from their uh, congregational leader. So his title was the King in the field. Uh, the King is in the field, which actually threw me for a loop because I'm like, what in the world is this going to be about? But when I read you the portions, I'll, uh, it, it does explain itself. And obviously I'm going to give my two cents on it. There were some things in here. I actually do, um, all of the, well, I tried to use all of the spell checking for my husband's sermons because Excuse me. Sometimes uh, he mixes up words. So, um, and and spelling is not his strong suit, and it happens to be mine. So I do help him in that way. It's the month of Elul is known far and wide as a time of paradoxes. It mar- marks both the end of the year and the beginning of the forty days of Teshuva, culminating in Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, at the end of the ten days of awe. It is the month of Elul, which is 30 days, and the 40 days of Teshuvah. Now, as I've already said, Teshuvah means it's translated as repentance and as forgiveness, but really it means to turn around and go the other way. To turn from sin and toward righteousness. To turn our enemy into our brother. It is a time of reconciliation and self-reflection and a time of fasting and a time of prayer. It is also known as a time when the king is in the field. It is said in rabbinic circles that throughout the year, the king was unapproachable. 
that to enter into his courts and to seek an audience, one had to go through so many layers of ministers and court attendants that when you came into the presence of the king, your appearance and your manners must be perfect to be seen beyond reproach. But in the month of Elul, the king would pitch his tent in the field and travel throughout the land and anyone could bring his complaint to the king and be heard. It was said that in those days, the lowest farmer had more access to the king than the highest ministers did the rest of the year. We see an example of this aloof style of reign in the book of Esther, when she and her maids fasted three days and three nights in preparation to enter into the court of the king. And then only because he has mercy on her, his wife and his queen, is she not condemned for so brazenly entering into his presence without being summoned. Esther is a picture of us preparing through prayer and fasting in order to enter into the presence of the king of kings and of him having mercy on us and hearing our plea. But in this season, we remember when the king left his heavenly court and pitched his tent in the fields of Israel. When Yeshua walked among his people and heard their pleas and their petitions, he healed the sick and set free the captives. He taught anyone who had ears to hear and called us, all of us, to Teshuvah, not just repentance, but to forgiveness. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your father forgive your transgressions. And when he was lifted up on a tree for our sins, what did he say? He said, forgive them, father, for they don't know what they're doing. In his last acts, moments before he died, what did he do? How did he use the last precious seconds of his life? He used them to intercede on our behalf and to ask God to forgive us for what we were doing to him. The king was in the field and we killed him with forgiveness on his lips. Now I want to go back to what Yeshua said about forgiveness. He said, forgive so that God can forgive you. Then in the very next verse, he says, and whenever you fast, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say if you fast. He said, when you fast. Fasting to Yeshua is a given, a part of the life of a believer. When was the last time you fasted? Other than Yom Kippur, when was the last time you spent the day in fasting and in prayer? I want you to examine yourself because this is a time of year set aside for it, for self-examination and reflection. And of course, that doesn't mean you can't do so any time of the year. Every day is a perfect day to forgive and to seek forgiveness. But just like you can rest any day, we are commanded to rest on the Shabbat. And now is the time for us to reflect and to seek forgiveness. And not just seek forgiveness for ourselves, seek forgiveness for your brother or sister who has wronged you. Do this while we can, while the king is in the field. Because the fall feasts are on their way. You know, stopping and reflecting on the fact that the last thing that Yeshua did was asked for forgiveness for all of us. And it makes you think. It makes you think about the times you were like, well, I'm not forgiving that person. Don't you know how badly they hurt me? And you're speaking and you're saying this to the one who chose to die on the cross for us. Now, when we talk about forgiveness and forgiving your brother or sister who has maybe wronged you, it doesn't mean you have to be best buds after that. It means that you simply let go of the situation and you've chosen to move on with your life instead of dwelling on whatever hurts that they've caused you. That you've given it up to Adonai 
and you say, Father, I'm giving this to you. It's too big for me. I'm letting it go. I'm choosing to give this to you so that I might be able to glorify your name and so that you might be able to forgive me when I need forgiveness. Because don't you and I need forgiveness every single day of our lives? I spoke a moment ago about fasting because I'm, I am building up to a big ask. I ask that all of us take one day this upcoming week to fast for 24 hours. It could be any day you like this week, but pick it out in your head today, right now. As Messiah Yeshua said, And whenever you fast, do not become sad-faced like the hypocrites, for they neglect their faces to make their fasting evident to men. Amen, I tell you, they have the reward in full. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting won't be evident to men, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you. Your fast is between you and your Father in heaven. You know, I always think it's funny, like, people who evidently haven't read that passage, and I know that I'm guilty of doing the same kind of thing. Well, you know, they might be fasting, and they literally announce it to everyone and anyone who will listen to them. And the Bible specifically tells you, like, that's between you and your Heavenly Father. It's not something for you to broadcast to everyone else. Um, that's not to say if somebody is, like, you know, trying to shove food down your face, you could say, little, I'm so sorry, like, I, I'm not eating that, you know, I cannot eat today. I'm choosing to take that time to, to fast. But it's not something that you're going to brag about. Because when you're fasting, you're humbling yourself before the Lord and you're coming before him as a weak human, as we are, and saying, Lord, my focus is on you and not on anything else. I'm choosing to set aside my needs, not my wants, my needs and my wants, really, and focus, have this time to focus on you. Of course, if you're going to fast, you need to keep your health in mind. If you have a condition that prevents you from fasting, then please don't fast. The tour is about life, not death. And me calling for a fast falls well, well below the Torah. But if you can, fast. Now this for me is a huge struggle. In fact, my husband and I actually had a rather heated discussion about this particular portion of his sermon because this uh, actually hurts me because I'm one of those people. Uh, for health reasons, I'm not able to fast. I want to fast. I want to do what Adonai has called us to do. But I also know that my physically, I'm unable to do it. My body will not allow me to fast for that long. Um, I'll actually probably end up in the hospital if I were to do so. And it makes me sad. And it is something that I wish I was able to do. But for whatever reason, um, I have these different health uh conditions and, and situations where I'm not able to uh, not eat for this whole time. Now, you could say, and this is where my husband and I differ, where I'm like, okay, well, then maybe I could just fast something like, you know, social media or technology or something for those 24 hours. And my husband, he believes that words have meaning and that you should use the words in their proper meaning. And when you look up the word fast in Hebrew, it means to literally cover one's mouth. To not let anything enter into the mouth. And 
um, also no food in the mouth. So I think it's pretty clear like no liquids, no food, no, no food are to enter your lips when you are fasting. And that's what fasting means. Now, if you want to be like on Yom Kippur where you can, I'm trying to think of the term that my husband had. It was a really good term. Um, afflict your souls in some other way, that would be fine, but that's not a fast. That's just you choosing to afflict your soul. <laughs> so if you're like me and have health issues where you're not able to fast, then I would encourage you to seek Adonai and say, Lord, how can I glorify your name and do what you want me to do, but in a way that is pleasing to you and not to me. And if you can't fast, you know what you can do? We can all pray. And if you need help with what you should pray for this week, I absolutely have a list for you. Um, I ask that you pray for me. I ask you pray for me, uh, my husband and I. Um, pray for me as I seek repentance and re reconciliation with anyone I may have ought against or who has, um, we have hurt. Um, pray for the leaders in the nation that you live in. Pray for the leaders in the congregation that maybe you go to. Pray that they would have hearts that are softened to those around them, that they would be willing to listen to those that they are shepherds of. Pray for wisdom and discernment. Pray for each other. Pray for Adonai to put on our hearts and our minds, whoever might be, might have ought against us so that we can go to our brothers and sisters and be reconciled. Pray for the larger Messianic movement. Pray for all the body of believers and for the unsaved Jew and Gentile. And when all this is said and done and you can't think of anything else to pray for, stop and listen. Because that is the real purpose of fasting, to quiet our souls and our minds so that we can hear from God. Because he is always speaking to us. Sometimes our minds are just too loud to hear him. And I wonder, I imagine actually that men would probably be better at that than women would. I have yet to meet a woman whose brain works like a guy's where they have these boxes that don't touch each other. In fact, they have a nothing box that they can go into and simply be quiet and quiet their minds and be thinking about nothing. For women, it's very different. Everything is connected. Your brain is always working until the time that you fall asleep to the time that you wake right back up again and you have a million and one thoughts again. But that's the beauty of fasting and prayer that we get to a certain point where you're able to meet God where he's at and where you're at and quiet your mind and your thoughts and everything else that's going on. So you can simply stop and be still and listen. Now, one last thing about this time, this month of Teshuvah leading up to the days of on into Yom Kippur. Sometimes when we turn from sin, we don't complete the work. Matthew 12, 43 to 45 says, now, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places looking for rest and doesn't find it. Then it says, I'll go back home where I came from. And when it comes, it finds the house vacant, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and brings along seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And that man's last condition becomes worse than the first. Why would that be? The house is in this case is us. We have been swept clean by our repentance and set in order. But how did the spirit find that house? It is first described as empty, vacant. 
It is empty because while we purged the sin out of us, we didn't fill that space with anything in its place. We didn't fill it with God, with his Ruach HaKodesh. Think of it this way. Teshuvah is to turn around and go the other way. What that describes is a full 180 degree turn. Sometimes we turn from sin, but not to God. We go halfway, 90 degrees. We turn from sin, but that only puts us in the middle. So equidescent uh, between God and our sin. At that point, it's just as easy to turn back to our sins as it is to keep turning toward God and toward his ways. In fact, it's much, much easier to turn back to the way we were going because it is already familiar and comfortable. So often in our lives, we, we do this. I've, I've absolutely been guilty of doing this where I say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you no matter what. I, I'm going to get rid of everything that is not of you. You know, I'll get rid of, of my video games. I'll get rid of my TV. I'll get rid of um, any, anything that's not pleasing to you, Lord, all my books, anything that is not pleasing to you, father. And then eh, about a week later, I'll be like, Oh, well, it's not really that bad. I think I'm okay. Like God still loves me where I'm at. He sure does, but you know better. And I know better. There's a story about the a husband and a wife who were on a road trip and suddenly the wife realized they were going the wrong way. And when she told her husband that, without missing a beat, he said, yeah, but we're making great time. How many of us are going the wrong way but are unwilling to turn around because we're making great time? Turning around may mean we have to backtrack, cover ground we have already been over, but it beats the heck out of the alternative. We are to remember God is in pursuit of us, always. All we have to do to find him is turn around and go the other way. Once we do that, he is there with us. Teshuva. The concept of Teshuva is so, so powerful. And it's not something that you see in, especially the Western culture. It's, you know, that person wronged me. So I am going to go out of my way to hurt them. Or that person wronged me. And instead of going to that person and having a conversation with them about it and, and choosing to have reconciliation by the end of it, half the time we don't even bother to have the conversation. We just choose to sweep it under the rug until this person has done so many wrongs that you just can't handle it anymore and you just explode. Which automatically makes you the bad guy in my mind. Or you do talk to them and you choose not to, to reconcile. I'm sorry, where in the word of God does it say that we are not to reconcile with our brothers? How many times did Peter ask he should, ask, he should, he should forgive his brother? I believe he said something around seven times seventy-seven. And yes, this is absolutely preaching to the choir because there have been times where I'm so irritated with someone or so hurt by someone or so upset with somebody. And I'll tell my husband, I'm just so done with this person. They're driving me crazy. And my husband being the good man that he is will remind me of that verse. And of course, I'll grumble and complain and then 
repent, apologize, go to that person and have a conversation with them and hopefully work it out. Sometimes there's no way to work it out, but it should be no way to work it out because they have chosen not to forgive you. There is no scenario where you are not supposed to forgive that other person because it's not for their sake that you're forgiving them. It's for your own sake. You hold on to those kind of hurts and it'll blacken your soul. And a blackened soul cannot come into the presence of Adonai. A soul so twisted and caught up in its own issues and complaints and and refusal of letting go of control and letting go of situations in their lives and not giving them to the creator actually causes you to be unable to enter the throne room, to enter into the presence of Adonai. Because Adonai cannot forgive us if we choose not to forgive those around us. So when he tells you you need to forgive those people, it's because he wants to bless us and not have us curse ourselves. But so often that's what we do to each other and to ourselves. Because we think somehow that that'll make us feel better or, oh, I got rid of that person. Finally, I don't have to socialize with that person. I'm so sick of that person. I'm so glad that I don't have to see them anymore because I scared them off or I told them, you know, what for. And I told them I'm not going to forgive them. I'm so glad they're not coming to wherever it is that you're at. But nowhere in the word of God is it say that that's what we're supposed to do. We are to love Adonai, our God, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is the greatest of the commandments. And the second is like unto the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now I get it if you don't love yourself. How are you supposed to love the person next to you? Then I would suggest that you start working on yourself. This is what we're talking about. This this particular time of year is a time of reflection and introspection. If you cannot love yourself, how are you supposed to show love to your neighbor? I've said this in other podcasts. I know I have. Because I've had a hard time learning to love myself. And you know what? The irony here is I've learned to, slowly but surely, I'm learning to love myself because I am choosing to love others even when I don't want to love them. Because there are times and situations in our lives that God puts people in our lives to grow us. Not to make our lives miserable, but it's a test. It's a test to see what am I going to do in this situation? What am I going to do with this person who is consistently getting on my nerves? Who rubs me the wrong way? Am I going to yell and scream at them or give them a list of things that they've done and then tell them that they're not, I can't forgive them for those, those things. Or can I simply say, you know what? I love you and I forgive you. I'm choosing to let it go and move on. Now, hopefully not entire uh, time of your life you've had to deal with somebody like that. But more than likely, there's always going to be at least one person that God has placed in your life that really irks you. And if you don't, then you might want to question it. You might want to wonder, am I, am I walking in the way that God wants me to walk? Because if there's nothing going on in your life 
that's helping to grow you as a human being, then you might not be walking the road that you should be. I'm not saying it's all terrible when you're a believer, but I am saying that God gives you trials and testings to help to grow you as a human being and become more like his son, Yeshua. And that's a good thing. It's something to be grateful for. And that's something I would encourage you to do, especially during times of testing, that you are consistently thinking of things to looking around you to thank the Lord for. Because it will help balance out any negative feelings you may be, be going through. Now, as I do every single week, I'm going to leave you with the ironic benediction. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Bashem Yeshua Sashalom, in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace, I pray. Amen. May you all have a fantastic week. Take the time to fast and pray. Take the time to have introspection and to think, is there anyone that I have ought against and should I go to them to ask for forgiveness? Is there anyone that I have hurt that I should ask for forgiveness from? Tune in again next week. Shavua Tov. Please feel free to message me at MessyMessianicMama.com or you can email me at ELMMM3 at ProtonMail.com. That's E as in Echo, L as in Lemur, M as in Mike, M as in Mike, M as in Mike, the number three at ProtonMail.com. Also feel free to leave me a one-minute voicemail message at Anchor dot fm forward slash erica lacasse there's a button on my anchor website that says leave a voicemail thank you so much and remember to leave all messages short and sweet and to the point and i look forward to hearing from each and every one of you